Hello and welcome to episode four of The Educators. This series focuses on well-being and inclusion um, in independent and international settings. And I'm really delighted today to be uh, joined by Clemmie Stewart, who's the Director of Education for Chatsworth Schools and recently launched Blenheim. Hello, good afternoon, Clemmie. How are you? Oh, hi, Angela. I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And it's actually quite nice, isn't it, to be sitting here in the warmth for a change. I was going to have my doors open, but there were too many sirens going on outside. So that's not good. I know. It's, it finally feels like summer's here, which can I only know. be a good thing. At last, at last. So, Clemmy, I'm just going to kind of go through a little bit about who you are um, in a professional context. So you've enjoyed over 14 years in the education sector and you've taught, led and supported in a variety of settings, including state independent and academy schools. Like me, all the best people are, you're a primary practitioner and you've led on behaviour and inclusion, learning and teaching and has you have been a head of school and senior head of prep schools whilst also supporting a portfolio of primary academies on the South Coast. You're now Director of Learning and Teaching at Chatsworth Schools and you're responsible for supporting schools in the UK and abroad to offer a broad, holistic and enriching curriculum in all stages and ages and really enabling children to reach and unleash their potential. You also support your staff to teach and lead with confidence, develop pedagogy and enhance the curriculum on offer. And in addition to this, if that isn't enough, <laughs> you've, you've also <laughs> delivered a TEDx talk on snowplow parenting. You've co-hosted an educational podcast with Dr. Emma Kell and recently completed your master's in educational leadership. Where do you find the time um, alongside a level seven <laughs> apprenticeship? You're also now writing a book with Emma and you're looking at how educators can build effective and positive relationships with parents and carers. And you've also been listed as one of the business women in education's women to watch list this year which we we met out the other <laughs> evening in the trailblazer category so wow dynamic <laughs> very busy so Clemmy, tell me a little bit about you personally what do you like doing in your personal life when you're not doing sure. every single thing that you're doing <laughs> on that list that intro is almost like a would i lie to you isn't it i need to tell you it one is. of those things which one true? of those are not true <laughs> they're sadly they're all true um but it's because i don't see education as a job really i i see it as a vocation yeah. I'm absolutely mm-hmm. in love with what I do um always have been uh, and always will be so I don't really see it as, as a work-life balance I see it as just a, a privilege of what I get to do with my days but when I'm not doing all of that um <laughs> I'm a very keen um horse rider I run I did the London Marathon a couple of years ago which I've promised to never ever my do again my utmost admiration <laughs> I'm trying to walk it I, I love it <laughs> it's horrendous honestly this this concept of once you've done it you get the bug I can assure you is not the case um, and I have no intention of ever doing it again. Um, but no, I, I love being active. I love being physical. Um, and I just love constantly challenging myself to do different things. So that's probably why I've got such a busy biog. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Long may it last. Um, so your, your, your role at Chatsworth and, and Chatsworth Group of Schools, uh, a group of schools I've come across because I'm as you know, really passionate about inclusion. Um, And Chatsworth has some amazing schools. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the Chatsworth group for those people who don't know about them? Sure, absolutely. So Chatsworth um, is a group of 14 schools and nurseries in the UK and a growing portfolio abroad. Um, And the one thing that links all of our schools and nurseries is the fact that we are non-selective. Every other aspect of the schools is slightly different and each school relishes its own autonomy and thrives within that autonomy. But the one strand that links us is that non-selection. So we have children of all abilities, strengths and talents, um, and it's our job to just enhance the experiences they have at school 
and provide support to all of our brilliant school leaders, teachers and staff to make sure that they can be the very best that they can be for their children. And and we were talking the other day and you were saying through that non-selection and kind of open admissions, you've developed some real strengths in inclusion, teaching and learning. And what, what does that look like? Is there anything you could say it looks like or is it different for each school and different for each part of Chatsworth? I think it's a combination of both, Angela. So I think it, the, the fundamentals of good SEND practice um, run through our schools like a stick of rock. We are blessed to have a director of SEN, um, a gentleman called Nick Reese, who is such a powerhouse in, in that sector and that field. And his understanding is, is superb. And he's there to support all of our schools, each of whom have a very, very strong SEN department. Mm-hmm. Um that's probably where the, the sort of similarity lies. Then it breaks down into each one of our schools and nurseries. And at that point, it looks completely different. So, uh, you know, at one end of the spectrum, we have a school, um, Riverston, down in Eltham, that is almost entirely SEN. Um, and it has a nursery and then it has year seven and upwards. And so all of their learning and teaching is centred around best practice for SEN and inclusion. Then some of our other schools have a more traditional makeup where the, you may have a really strong SEN department, but it's also very much a mainstream school school environment so it's a whole combination and our job is really to just take the best of all of those aspects and share them around the group Um, and as a result of having that we have such strong SEM practitioners now who are just amazing at delivering a superb mainstream inclusive education to all children. Which is fantastic because of course the code of practice said that every teacher should be a special needs teacher although that that is often difficult to find and I know particularly in the international education market that when I was working internationally was always something that was um, a stretch for a lot of international schools. So perhaps, you know, very sensibly, you've now launched into the international schools market with your new brand, Blenheim. So what's happening there? Really exciting things happening by the sounds yeah. of it. So exciting. So, I mean, I've only been with Chatsworth um, since September. And when I went through no. the interview process <laughs> really? with Anita and Rob, yeah, no, I can't believe um, it. you know, we never talked... I know it's bizarre, isn't it? We, we never talked about international. That was never really on the agenda that, that I was aware of. Um, and then, of course, it very quickly became apparent that there was a real hunger to, to take this inclusive mainstream approach abroad. And we were very kindly and generously recognised as being an international partner that could provide that um, and do so with confidence and knowledge and an understanding of what works really well in our current schools and our system. Um, I think it's important to note that, you know, the most recent SE and green paper highlighted some real issues in SEM provision of which we're all aware Um, and so it's not about saying we do it best here and let us show you how to do it in your schools it's about just taking what we know that does work and where we've been very privileged to develop that understanding and support partners across the world to be able to embed that within their own cultures and their own context Um, so it's predominantly in the Middle East at the moment but we're getting interest from so many different parts of the world of countries that recognize that inclusion is an essential part of a broad and holistic education it's something that all societies have to have a better understanding of and a better desire to embed that within their practice and therefore reaching out to partners like us to help them do that with confidence and with success yeah i mean it's essential isn't it that we definitely are passionate about a full circle a success route for everybody teachers and and pupils and families and the UAE over the last two or three years has really shown an impetus in wanting to work towards 2030 goals and have real inclusion happening. You you mentioned very briefly about um, kind of not coming in and kind of dropping yourselves in. You're working 
I'm assuming as joint ventures rather than some international schools have a kind of a blueprint and they blueprint it around the world or they kind of have something that's worked somewhere else and they're going to kind of see if that works in another country. Do you work slightly differently to that? Yeah, I think, you know, our aim is to have a similar ethos abroad as we do here, which is to have some fundamentals that that we know work. So a really strong curriculum. And in fact, Anita and I spent last summer creating a curriculum scaffold that we think best encapsulates what successful learning and teaching needs to look like in the 21st century. Um, And that's our Chatsworth tapestry. And and within that are strands around um, mental health and well-being, um, having a, a learning mindset, so knowing yourself as a learner. And a huge part of that is not only knowing your own strengths as a learner but also what we all need to be working on regardless of whether you are categorized as SEN and that slightly you know outdated concept of some people have a learning need and some don't I think we all are gradually realizing we all have different needs and strengths and talents and and knowing thyself is such an important part of that Um, another big strand of that is our digital piece our global citizenship piece sustainability um, and, and all of these parts go together to create what we consider to be a 21st century education um and of course we will embed that in all of our schools abroad but then how those schools embed that and how they grow that with that focus on inclusion is something that we will support them to do rather than just say do this do that and you'll have the perfect school because of course we all know each context is slightly different Um, and even within our our partners in the Middle East in different countries that will look different look different for different families the different staff teams that we're working with Um, and our hope is to fit in like the next piece of the puzzle rather than reinventing an entire puzzle it's about coming alongside partners and colleagues who are working in region and helping to develop their skill set as well as ours as we work together in partnership. So what's your first project? Are you allowed to talk about that? Because it not it fairly imminent to be launched? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So we have Beachall International um, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which we're really, really excited to be launching. Um, and that has been such a fascinating project to, to work on. Again, you know, having joined a group thinking it was just in the UK now doing some work in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has just been truly amazing um, and again it's about bringing a truly inclusive mainstream school to the region um, and working with the team out there to create a school from the ground up that gives inclusion in every possible sense of the word so through the curriculum through the pedagogy but even through the learning spaces that we're designing just thinking the whole time how are you placing inclusion at the heart not to necessarily address the needs of a percentage of children who might have been diagnosed with a form Mm, of of mm. learning um, challenge but actually for every single child in our environment how is it truly inclusive and how will it help to bring out the best in every single member of our community and that's launching this September I believe is it it is that's I'm so relieved this is just audio and not visual because I look shattered (laughs) but no it it is exactly and um you know we've had such fun working with the team out there to just explore what it really looks like and what it means in terms of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia how are we inclusive what does inclusion look like um what's the narrative around inclusion for families for teachers that want to come and work with us and how do we truly celebrate that in a in a really well understood way so that everybody knows what they're buying into and getting and of course you have had such success with your schools in the UK have you got some examples of of real success stories that that as a group you're really proud of yeah I think um what's so interesting about that question Angela is how you define success um and everyone's success is different <laughs> it, we've had really a long is. conversation about this it, so I totally have, 100% agree we have <laughs> and it reminds me of um a story actually if you don't mind me going slightly off piece when I was actually looking for my senior school as, as a child and my dad always lets me tell this story to, to his own detriment where you know we looked at some traditional 
British schools and ended up at Bedales, which of course is mm-hmm. not a traditional school. No. And he said that he went up to the head at the time and said, you know, what percentage of children do you get into Oxbridge? And she said, why are you asking me that? And he said, because then I'll know how successful you are. And she said, with all due respect, you're asking completely the wrong question. What you should be asking me is about the leavers destinations. And if that's what you're asking me, then 100% of our leavers went to the right destination for them after their A-levels. What a great answer. What a great answer. And guess which school I ended up at. Um, And I think that's really (laughs) shaped my educational philosophy. And, you know, we as a group genuinely take pride in every single child's outcome if it's the right one for them. So... I think of one of our schools, um, Beach Hall, I remember having lunch with a pupil up there who was very, very proud to tell me that he's been working really hard to secure his functional skills because he wants to go to college and learn how to bricklay. But because Mm -hmm. he's also been learning about enterprise and innovation, his long term plan is to run his own company that brings together lots of different trades so that he could be part of the building industry. I think that is a huge measure of success. Equally, at Riverston, which is our school that's almost entirely um, SEND, one of the children there is um, going off this summer to study English at university in a in a university abroad but has also just won a highly coveted ISA art competition now that sounds like an amazing outcome for any child but for a child with his diagnosed need it's even more phenomenal but for him he's just taken it in his stride because he knows himself as a learner and he knows that he's capable of those things and and we as a group take the same amount of pride in both of those children and their outcomes because it means we've given them a myriad of opportunities which they've been able to exploit and make some really thoughtful choices around where they want to take their learning next. Yeah, I was in a meeting this morning, having a conversation with another school talking about not trying to fit the students into the box that we give them, but trying to give them kind of multiple boxes where they can find their success through rather than just it's either IGCCs or A-levels or diploma. You know, how many different options are you giving students to be successful? And and what kind of... Yeah, absolutely. That success path is different for everyone. It is completely different for everybody. And I think, you know, we still have this really outdated idea of of what education is for. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I heard somebody, I wish I could attribute it to them, but I can't remember who said it, but that, you know, we have schools that are still based on this 18th century model, you know, where we still break up for summer to help with the harvest. And we learn a 19th century curriculum and we're taught by 20th century teachers. And yet these children are 21st century children. So every aspect of what we're doing is fundamentally outdated. And I think we still measure school success by how many children go to Oxford and Cambridge and how many Mm. get A stars and A's and nines. Now, I'm not down doing those outcomes because those are fundamentally important for those children who want to go down that road. But we should be celebrating vocational outcomes. We should be celebrating entrepreneurial outcomes. We should be celebrating those people who change their mind and try three or four or five different things. You know, we, we have to broaden our concept of what success looks like um, and that's what we're looking to do abroad so you know when, when we talk to our investors and we talk to our teams about the end of, of the outcomes for these children we talk very confidently that some might do the Harvard route and Oxford route mm-hmm. others will do a vocational route and that we have to be comfortable with that and I think we can only really be in partnership with people who also value those outcomes and understand that breadth needs to be there if we're really preparing our children for the future um, and that's something that we're really proud to be doing both abroad and at home. Yeah, and it's really commendable. I have to say there's only one other group that we've worked with that is offering those kind of alternate paths to success. And and when you're positioning yourself as an inclusive, individualised school and you're only offering academic outcomes, that 
is questionable about how you can be individualizing and personalizing success for all because that can't possibly be right otherwise can it no I totally agree and I think you know one of the one of the foundational things that we believe in at Chatsworth is the power of choice Mm -hmm. and I think empowering our children to be able to make those choices, not just on a whim, but, you know, we, we've all been teenagers, but, you know, to, to have choices that are rooted in justified thinking, um, experiences that they can hinge their decisions on. So a, a whole wealth of work experience, um, yeah. the opportunity to go out into the world and, and see working practices and meet different people and have such a plethora of different experiences that when they're sat in those career mentor meetings towards the end of their time in school and they're saying, I want to set up a company or I want to go to university or I want to study a a trade at college. They need to be able to tell us why and what that's based on. Um, And I think if we can give them the confidence and the choice to be able to do that, then we've done our job right. Absolutely. And and that ties in very well with the the World Economic Forum skills for for aspirational skills for the fourth industrial revolution. And it's, it's very obvious now that students can go to university and get a degree but they still can't get a job because they still don't have the skills and the personal qualities that they need to be able to to really thrive in the world that we currently live in how about the benefits for your schools in the UK for going overseas? Are, will there be kind of reciprocal benefits, do you think? I, I really hope so. And if not, then we've we've done them a disservice, I think. So as I said, mm-hmm. one of the strands of our, our Chatsworth tapestry is, is understanding yourself as a global citizen. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a huge part of that is, you know, if you just do your academic subjects and you get your A-levels. I had a friend, um, Silas Edmonds, who's head at York Castle, who once said, that's your passport. But if all you ever do is that, then you arrive in a new country with your passport and you've no idea what to do with it. Whereas if you have this broad, holistic and rounded education, you learn how to speak a different language. You have a hunger to learn about the culture of where you are. You want to go and see the galleries and, and the mm-hmm. beautiful sites and you can really immerse yourself in, in the world. And I think you know, if we get our global citizenship piece right, then our children will be hungry to travel. They'll want to go and see different parts of the world. They will confidently meet people and converse in different languages and that's as much for our children who are who are learning in the Middle East as it is our children in the UK and you know, there are lots of things we'll be able to do like Model UN where we can all meet up albeit online yeah. um, possibly trips and visits for some of our older pupils and exchange programs mm-hmm. um, and, and whole group wide competitions so we also work with 8 billion ideas to offer um, entrepreneurialism and enterprise mm-hmm. in all of our schools and I see no reason why when we do sort of Chatsworth ideas competitions I expect to see our international schools on that stage as well and collaborating with their friends in the UK I think will be a really really important part of of learning for for both sides for want of a better term for for all of our schools and in fact the school that we're looking at setting up in KSA at the moment will be linked to one of our schools in the UK so there's huge opportunity there for collaboration for project work and also for the staff to work together as well. That's so nice to see that interconnectedness because very often you see school groups setting up schools and they're not really interconnected. They're kind of separate units on their own. So having that real family feeling of being connected to each other is is really beneficial isn't it absolutely and you know we um we had our eight billion ideas competition yesterday actually for for our years one to six children in the uk and i heard the the, the term chatsworth family heard throughout it wasn't chatsworth schools it wasn't the chatsworth yep. group it was chatsworth family and we are a family 
family. We're a big, loving, slightly dysfunctional at times family, which I just adore. And each school that comes into being part of that, whether they're in the UK or abroad, will always be part of that family. And we will be exploring options all the time as to how we can bring that family together so that it's mutually beneficial for everybody because we can all learn so much from each other. And I would say as as a leadership and executive leadership team, you're very much taking on a parental role. I feel very much when I'm talking to you guys that it's they're your children, which you find so rarely nowadays, you know, in individual schools, but definitely you don't find very often at all in international schools or international school groups. So it's absolutely lovely to kind of hear the way you all talk about your children at your group of schools, which is what we're all there for, really, isn't it? We're there for the children at the end of the day. Exactly. Exactly that. And I think, you know, somebody asked me the other day, do I miss headship? Um, and, and there's one small part of headship I will always miss, and that is the children. The rest of it, yeah. I, I'm okay for now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but the children, I, you know, I, I used to talk about my children as my children. And someone said to me, have you got children? And I said, I've got 500, you know, across these two schools. Um, and I feel the same way about our Chatsworth schools. And I know Anita, our CEO, does too. And what's yeah. really special about a lot of our UK schools is they're small enough that we know mm. these children. So, so the two success stories I just gave you I could name the children I could tell you what their yeah. families do um I could point them out to you in an assembly and, and, and similarly when I sit in year one and two at Patterson College which is our school in Coventry you know those I know those children inside out and back to front and it's really really special and we want to be the same with our international partners you know we, we want to be over there enough that we know the children we know the families yeah. we certainly feel like we know some of the staff already um and, and they're part of our family you know we whatsapp each other we we keep up with each other we're friends as well as colleagues and I think that's really important. So as you grow and hopefully spread to every corner of the world so that we can all benefit from your inclusive amazing schooling how will you maintain that family feel do you think have you thought about that because that's obviously going to be a big kind of question yeah I think that's such a good question Angela and so much about that is about that sphere of influence you have as as Mm. sort of system leaders and I think it all comes down to the power of relationships and if your relationships are built in integrity and honesty Mm. and transparency um, and I think always from the position of positivity you know always assume the best in people um, and build on that assumption and you'll rarely let down I think and I think you know as long as we keep those relationships really close um, really supportive and we keep that communication up then I think those doors will always be open and that sense of family will always be there Um, you know even think about the project that we're talking about now in Saudi you know I, I probably speak to people on the ground there at least once a day if not twice a day and I don't ever see that changing because we're growing this amazing project together um, and whenever I go over to see them, I feel like I'm being welcomed in as a member of the family and, and vice versa. And I think we just have to keep committing to those relationships. And the more time you invest in them, the more you get out of them. I couldn't agree more, Clemmy. And, and you spoke earlier about the focus that um, Chatsworth and Blenheim has on well-being. How do you how do you embed that into your schools? What does it look like? Or what does it feel like? Or what's the main strategy for that? I, mean, I think that the headline strategy is the fact that we have so clearly placed an emphasis on that so you know we say to our schools you know the children's well-being their happiness um that their safety their mental health comes before everything else you know that that for me is another big measure of success that will always come before academic outcomes and and things like that so we teach the children about um their mental health and well-being in a really proactive way from the very very start of their schooling Um, it looks different in each school you know some schools might use zones of regulation other schools might use different programs to help give the children the toolkit to talk about their mental health and well-being um 
we don't expect every child to be happy every single day, but we would hope that every child finds some happiness in every day. Um, You know, we as adults know you you have bad days, you have rubbish days, Mm -hmm. you have grumpy days. um, And it's important that the children know that and recognise that, that that's a completely normal thing to have and to be but to have the toolkit to know how to come out of that um but, but equally to recognize when things are more serious and they need to talk about things and they need to seek help and support we also then heavily invest in that support so you know making sure that we've got lsas we've got behavior mm. support therapists if needed school counselors if needed so that there's yeah. a whole team of people around these children and yeah. staff to to help strengthen them up and give them the resilience that they need but also to address any specific challenges they might personally have um we've also teamed with happy space who are a brilliant provider um certainly in the uk to start with but we want to take them abroad with us to again help children to understand their own mental health and well-being and what i love about happy space and, and the work that tegan does there is that proactive element so rather than wait for a crisis which you know we all could list far too many that we could think of being proactive and getting the tools in place way before that becomes a challenge and an issue um and i think you know just continually reflecting on how we do that's really important then from a staff perspective we also have well-being coordinators in each one of our schools they meet regularly with our head of people Mm -hmm. to talk about what's working what's not working how we can support them so again we can take a proactive and positive stance to supporting their mental health and well-being hopefully long before it gets to a crisis point for an individual yeah i mean in terms of what you're doing it seems to me compared to quite a few other schools internationally anyway is is you as director of education see it's very much part of your role as well very often it's separated so you kind of have you know director of education and director of well-being and and really it's all very much integrated into one isn't it so having the the kind of same values throughout schools and employing people who have the same values as you obviously is is really important too so I'm guessing that when you're recruiting you're also looking for for those kind of qualities in the people that you're recruiting for always and in fact what we do is it's particularly when we're recruiting abroad you know we share with the mm. staff beforehand our approach this tapestry and and they see mental health yeah. and well-being as being that almost first segment next to mindset and we ask yeah. them to talk through how they would plan a lesson or a series of lessons based on one aspect of mm. that tapestry and so often they'll choose mental health and well-being um and and you can find out so much from somebody's response to that and i think that's really really important i think the other aspect of it that's so important is tying that in with inclusion so mm. you know huge part of, of of inclusion for me is about knowing yourself as a learner knowing yep. either what you've been labeled at for want of a better term or just what you find easy and what you find hard and if you speak to adults who say oh, i had a horrendous experience of school very often it will be linked to finding something very very difficult or not being able to read mm-hmm. or finding maths just impossible and that never having been formally acknowledged or understood and therefore and, and just not feeling good enough bashing them yeah it's yep, never feeling absolutely. good enough, but never understanding why. And I think if a teacher or, or any member of staff, but you, you rightly point out teachers are that first point of call, mm. spotting it, addressing it, and then finding strategies to move around it, it is just so fundamentally important that if you don't place your importance on that, you're never going to get it right for the children in front of you. Absolutely. And what about teacher wellbeing? I was at a conference the other day and there was a really great slide that said, you know, teachers put your oxygen masks on first. <laughs> Yeah. What, what, what? How? How do you approach teacher well-being? Because obviously that that becomes an issue and is is 
often quite an issue internationally. What's your approach to teacher wellbeing? I think that there are various different approaches. I think the first is, I mean, Anita's got this brilliant saying, which is seek first to understand. Um, and there's somebody who can talk yeah, a lot, as I'm sure yeah. you can tell. I'm often the first to try and jump in. With, yeah, with I don't think I had a podcast long enough for her. So. <laughs> exactly. And I'm the watered down version. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, apologies, that, that Peter, idea, if you're listening. <laughs> that idea of, of seeking first to understand is, you know, if, if somebody is finding something challenging or overwhelming rather than saying oh I'll take I'll take your Thursday period five off you or don't worry about your marking till next week those are just tiny plasters that just won't ever cover the issue so just getting inside somebody's mind to help understand what are the challenges what are the issues what are they finding hard what how can we empower people to support their own well-being but also what else do you need from us and it goes far beyond uh, you know well-being Wednesday or cakes on a Friday or a yoga yeah. session for free every six weeks all of which yeah. are lovely but they're just tokenistic it's about yeah. really embedding a way of supporting our staff so we do that through our well-being coordinators in each mm-hmm. school we do that through our brilliant head of people who who supports them to do that yeah. um, we're exploring you know different mental health awards that cover staff mental health as well because that's so important and I think often yeah. it's that acknowledgement and that thanks. Um, you know, at Christmas, Anita bought everybody a tree that they could plant, a Christmas tree, and just to say thank Aww. you for their hard work. <laughs> you know, just, just different ways of just acknowledging people's efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Is there now a Chatsworth Christmas tree farm? Is there somewhere? Well, there's one in every garden because <laughs> everyone's planted them. Mine's not doing very well, unfortunately. Um, but, but no, it's just, and again, that's on its own. That's not going to cover it. But that, that yeah. way of thanking and acknowledging people's hard work. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, a lot of the work that Martin Seligman did around PERMA, I think, again, mm. giving people a sense of purpose, a yeah. sense of meaning to their work. You know, you, yeah. you don't have to search hard to find that in schools. But acknowledging it and thanking people for it and finding ways for them to work smarter, not harder, has got to be one of the benefits of being part of a group. So, you know, if I can see some brilliant practice or a brilliant bit of curriculum or a great idea, sharing it around the group so that somebody else isn't sat in their classroom desperately trying to do it at the same time. Yeah. Completely. So just wrapping up now, Clemmy, it's so exciting. I can't tell you how I'm excited about an inclusive school in Saudi. What are your hopes and aspirations for the future for Blenheim Group, which is the international part of Chatsworth Schools? I mean, I think our hope is very much that people from our work truly understand inclusion and what an inclusive Mm. mainstream school can look like Um, we want to break down barriers we want to break down any um, misunderstandings around what that means Um, and we want to as a team help to skill up different staff parents everybody's member every member of the community's understanding of what that looks like and then showcase how well it can work and why it's so important and then invite the world to see that that it works and that it's a really powerful thing to have so that we can gradually start to share it further and further afield um i think sometimes there's just that fear of what you don't know and if something hasn't been massively on the agenda for a long time then you think oh i just don't know enough about it but you know what good is good enough to start with and and the quicker you can learn about things the more you can share that around and i suppose my hope is that any other place that wants to explore inclusion might start to look at us to think okay maybe they could help us to realize those ambitions not under our banner but for them in their own autonomous school with us just quietly supporting and backing and, and pushing from behind well 
Clemmy, I can't wait to come visit your school in Saudi. It sounds amazing. Before that, I need to come visit all your schools in the UK. Yes, (laughs) you'd be so um, welcome. You really will. Oh, I will definitely be there. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And thank you so much for your time. I know you're incredibly busy right now with all the schools that are opening. (laughs) But thank you so much for giving us your time. And really excited to see what happens to the Blenheim Group moving forward in the international schools market. Thank you so much for your time today. Amazing. Thank you so much. I've so enjoyed talking to you. That's it for another insightful episode with Angela Fairs from Full Circle. And thank you for listening. To get in touch with Angela, check out her website. It's fullcircle-education.co.uk. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.